The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com. This is Barron's Live. Each weekday, we bring you live conversations from our newsrooms about what's moving the market right now. On this podcast, we take you inside those conversations, the stories, the ideas, and the stocks to watch so you can invest smarter. Now, let's dial in. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Barron's Live, our daily webcast and podcast. I'm Lauren Rublin, Senior Managing Editor of Barron's. Thanks for joining us today to learn more about what's moving the markets. Barron's Deputy Editor Ben Levison is on the line, and he'll be filling us in today on the latest banking news, this week's bevy of earnings reports, and the big decision facing the Federal Reserve. I can see that we also have a lot of good questions from our audience, and we'll get to those later in the call. But first, Ben, welcome back to Barron's Live. It is always good to talk with you. Thanks, Lauren. It's great to be here. So let's start with the big news in banking. The government has seized First Republic at last, and it's selling the bulk of the company, deposits and assets, but not the debt, to J.P. Morgan, the country's biggest bank by far. A couple of us looked outside the office window this morning at the First Republic branch across the street, and I tell you, there's no JPM banner up there yet, but I suspect it's coming. More important, though, what does this development mean for J.P. Morgan's stock and for the banking sector as a whole? Well, I, I should also say that I walked past that branch on Friday and it was empty inside. I'm looking through there and they have all these great offices and there was just no one there. Um, so, they, you know, this was a long time coming. It needed to happen. Um, and the response so far, at least from the, the stock market uh, to it, uh, has been pretty positive. J.P. Morgan stock has jumped up uh, 2.7%. Um, I, I don't know if anybody remembers, but our Andrew Barry wrote uh, sort of when this all first started happening in March uh, that it was really time to buy the big banks after they had sold off. Um, and that came out on, I think, March uh, 17th or so. And uh, J.P. Morgan is up, uh, I think, around 12% since then. Um, so it was a, uh, a good call on his part to, to look at these big banks that uh, are really benefiting um, from kind of the turmoil um, in, in, in among smaller banks. Um, I, I think that the, the interesting thing about JP Morgan is if you look at the chart, it jumped today right back to where it was at the start of this whole mess. Um, so it was back up to around, I think, 143 or so. And that's right where it was really before this all started. And it kind of hit a, you know, hit a wall there, uh, a pretty big wall of resistance. So it's going to be interesting to watch the stock and see if it is able to uh, kind of break through that 143, 145 area and head higher. I think that uh, this, this deal, though, does sound like a very good one for, uh, for J.P. Morgan. Um, it's going to give them a chance to uh, expand into wealth management a bit. It's an area that they've wanted to get into, but um, it hasn't been a huge move yet. Um, and uh, just be able to, to, to take in some of these assets and have a little bit of the risk split with the FDIC. So that, that could be helpful, too. Um, I, I just think it's a question of how long it's going to take for the stock to sort of break through this area um, that it's in on the, on the chart. Um, the good news, though, is that the uh, 200 day moving average is now moving higher. So the longer term trend is turning positive and the 50 day looks like it's flattening out and could be heading higher, too. So we'll want to keep an eye on that. Good point. And, and as you indicate, sometimes it is good to have the government as your partner. I have to bring up a question from Arthur. Sure. Who has asked, 
What happens if just one more bank fails? JP Morgan cannot bail out all of them. No, I, I think, you know, it's a, it's a fair question. I think we're past that point, though. Um, you know, a lot of these banks are, going, I think the, the larger ones, the ones that could really be problematic, have done what they need to do to get through this. So, you know, are we still going to hear about some trouble and some deposit losses at, at some of these? I, I, we might. But uh, I think for the most part, uh, as Jamie, uh, Jamie Dimon, uh, J.P. Morgan CEO, said today, um, that he thinks this stage of the crisis is over. I think he's right. I think we're past the, the big bank failures. There might be smaller bank failures that the FDIC could do. Because remember, like before the financial crisis, you always had some small bank failures. Um, they, they just, they happened. They, FDIC took them over, did their thing, and you came out the other side. It wasn't a big deal. And so I think we might be getting to that point where the uh, the, the bigger banks that could be, uh, you know, be uh, create systemic problems are, are probably not going to be a problem anymore. Um, it may be some of the smaller things. So I think the bigger issue is going to be turning from what do these banks do now? They're going to be reducing their loans. They're going to be tightening their uh, their credit standards, uh, their lending standards. Um, and, and I think that could have a, um, you know, a negative effect on the economy overall. That's, that's definitely true. So midweek, we're going to be turning our attention to the Federal Reserve, which is widely expected to hike interest rates by another quarter of a percentage point at its policy meeting, which concludes on Wednesday. This will be the 10th rate hike for the Fed since it began hiking rates in March of 2022. Megan Casella, Barron's economics reporter, will be attending the the press conference with Jay Powell that follows the FOMC meeting. We'll be covering the Fed's decision and the press conference on Barron's.com. And as Megan wrote in this past weekend's cover story, the Fed is really in quite a pickle. The economy is slowing, but inflation is still strong and it seems to be sticky. So where does the Fed go from here? We expect a 25 basis point or quarter of a percentage point hike on Wednesday, but what comes next and how is the Fed going to resolve these contradictions? Sure. So the the Fed, uh, the market right now is saying that there is a 91% chance of a quarter point hike on, on Wednesday. Um, so not quite, you know, a sure thing, but pretty close. Um, and it makes sense given these readings where we did have, you know, GDP came in a little slower than expected, while PCE and the employment cost uh, index, those were both a bit stronger than expected. Um, the, the market does expect to pause um, from the Fed after that, um, which also makes sense. We have to remember that um, these do uh, work, the, the Fed's rate hikes work on a lag. It takes a long time for them to move through the economy. They hit the, the most rate sensitive parts first. Uh, which are things like the housing market, which we'll talk about a little more later, um, and then uh, into other areas. Um, and, and we're still seeing it uh, not really impact uh, the job market so much. So I think that, uh, you know, the Fed is going to have to hike. Uh, the market wants to see that pause. And, and I think that's where the big uh, uh, the big risk is, is that is the Fed going to signal a pause after this rate increase or not? So what happens if the Fed doesn't hike? There's always that outside possibility. There, there is. I mean, I, I, that would be an interesting outcome. I, I think uh, it could be taken. I think if the Fed decides not to hike, then the market probably thinks, uh oh, what did it see that has it spooked that it's going to stop? Right. right. Um, and so I think the, the market reaction has to be it has to be negative in, in that case. Um, as much as that's really what everybody wants, I don't think they want to see it happen. Uh, quite so suddenly and out of the blue when they have those odds at 91% right now. Um, 
uh, a pause would be really, uh, um, I think that would, that would spook people. So let's talk about the market rally this year, even in the face of all this Fed hiking. Is the bullish move justified? And if so, by what? Um, there are people who think it is. Um, some of this is, I mean, I, I do think you have to go back to last year um, to start really thinking about this argument is that we had that big drop in the stock market. I think it was over 25% for the S&P 500. Um, and so you did have um, the kind of drop that usually accompanies a recession. Um, and the people, I think some people would tell you that, that, that the market already priced in that recession. Since it's forward looking, um, it, we don't need to, to worry about that kind of drop again. Um, there are also people who say that, you know what, we're not going to get a recession. Um, that the, the Fed has, um, you know, even though it's tightened monetary policy, it's done these emergency lending facilities that are put into place. That's done enough to um, really make sure that uh, the the uh, the, um, the lending to, to offset the kind of higher lending standards that are going to be out there. And so that those are going to uh, be uh, they'll cancel each other out. And you still have a market that has plenty of liquidity in it. And the Fed doesn't seem uh, to be in the mood to go much higher from here. Um, and so you can, um, if you if you just have the Fed pausing and um, doing its thing, um, and then and letting things go, there's there's a chance that you don't get the recession and everything um, goes and everything just continues on. And that this what we're seeing in the market right now is really has been since uh, that October low really has been the start of a new bull market. So or some people think it's a bull market move within a bear market, though. That is true. I mean, and we're still not in a bull market in the S&P 500. I think it's up around 16, 17, 18 percent or so from from that low. Um, and so it's been a great rally, um, the kind of rally that you don't want to miss. And uh, it's really close as we go back on a 12 month basis where we're looking at the market being pretty close to flat. And at some point we're going to lap it and it'll be up on the 12 month basis. Um, but uh, it's been a great move. And uh, it but it could be that this is just uh, kind of setting up for um, for a recession that really takes things down, that the route that the drop we had last year was in response to economic contraction, but simply a squeeze in multiples uh, because the Fed hike rates so quickly, the market had to adjust almost instantaneously. And that meant uh, bringing multiples down. Um, and the, the stock market is still expensive. Um, it's still trading at, I think, just under 18 times earnings at this point. Um, and so, you know, all that would say if we do get a recession, earnings are going to have to come down, earnings estimates are going to have to come down, um, they'll slow, and that means the market has to come down as well. Everything rests on this recession scenario. It really does. So much debate about it. I, I can't remember another recession in my years at Barron's that got so much attention, especially a recession that hasn't occurred. I, I would like to point out that uh, this is not uncommon. Um, you know, the uh, it, it go back to 2007 and we had the, uh, I, I believe it was the, the Bear Stearns, I can't, I'm going to get my dates all messed up, but there were reasons to think a recession. I believe it was the, the yield curve inverted sometime in the early part of 2007. You had a lot of people saying, no, 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 and including the Fed saying, no, this isn't going to be a recession. 
and of course uh, it was a recession and it was a very pretty it pretty long and brutal one yes um and and so i think just the fact that it's taking longer doesn't mean that it's going to be wrong um it's just we're in a very weird environment um and and you've been better off except for this 18 percent rally you've been better off uh you know not uh um stocks are still well off their uh january 2022 highs all right, let's move on to earnings. There are some big companies reporting this week. We're more than halfway through first quarter earnings season. About 260 companies have reported 261. That represents 61% of the index's market cap. How would you size up the results so far? And then we'll get to some specific companies. Sure. So um, it's been um, pretty good um, so far and better than expected, um, for sure. It's uh, you know the uh, the sales uh, so far have come in uh, up uh, 4.9 percent. Earnings have been down just 2.3 percent. Both of those numbers are much better than the original estimates uh, for growth of 2.1 percent in sales and um, uh, so and and, and earnings being uh, down about 6.6 percent. And this is all coming from uh, Evercore ISI um, and so so you do have um, some pretty good um, earnings, uh, or at least I shouldn't say pretty good. They're still falling, but they're better than they were expected to be. What's interesting is that uh, these earnings are not being rewarded anymore. They the first uh, the first week of earnings was pretty good. That was when banks were reporting, and uh, they had come in very negative. They all started to bounce. But what we're seeing since then is that the average stock is falling 0.2 percent post results, and even companies that beat on both their revenue and their earnings. Are, have gained just 0.3% on average. Normally, those are 1% gainers. Um, that's the five-year average. Double misses, though, have been punished actually a little bit less than they have been historically, down 2.5% versus 2.9% average. So I, I think, again, this quarter has been better than expected, but I think that you know, that's usually what happens in earnings season. I think people are still looking ahead, trying to figure out what earnings are going to look like over the rest of the year. And I still think they, they just don't have a great answer yet. All right. Apple reports on Thursday. The stock is up 31% this year. Other tech companies have actually surprised on the upside with earnings. It's been a good quarter for them. What can we expect from Apple? Well, Apple is an interesting one. Let's go through the numbers first, and I'll try to take a guess on the stock. Um, <laughs> The the numbers there, everything is probably going to be pretty good. Um, you're going to see that uh, more people are using Apple devices. Um, the growth there is still strong, that uh, their services business is growing like crazy, and that they're going to have uh, record gross margins uh, probably for the, this uh, second quarter of 2023, their second fiscal quarter. Um, and they're also going to be going past... Um, uh, they're going to be getting through some really tough periods or, you know, gaming did very well versus it during COVID and then it dropped off a lot. So that's going to be uh, cycled through and that's going to help things as well. Um, I think the big issue is going to be the iPhone. Um, this is where people are worried. Um, they're expected to see a decrease in, in sales off of the iPhone. Um, and I think the people are going to be wrestling with um you know, how does that impact everything else? Because it's really the iPhone leads uh, the rest of that business. You know, people have to have their iPhones and then they use all the other stuff that, that Apple has. 
Um, and so that's going to be the thing that people pay attention to. Um, my worry with uh, Apple is just how much it's been rallying um, with uh, uh, into this number. So, so far this year, it's up 31%. In the past three months, it's up 16%. Um, and if you look at it, there's been very little in the way of a pullback along the way. There was a little one from sort of the middle of February to the um, beginning of March, but otherwise it's been pretty much straight up since the beginning of January. Um, it's coming up to some resistance that would be near uh, 175-ish. It's at around 170 right now, just a little bit under 170. Um, and so I worry that coming into this resistance level, this number is gonna need to be really great uh, for it to deserve both its uh, um, this rally that it's had. And I also point out that its valuation um, is at around 27 times forward earnings. Um, and that's not it, the highest it's been over the past, let's say, three years or so. Um, but it doesn't leave much room for error. But it does, exactly. You know, it's it's been as high as 31-ish uh, or so. But, I mean, it's an expensive stock right now. And it's uh, multiple has uh, really grown a lot since the beginning of the year. It's gone from under 20 to now uh, almost uh, 27. So I think there's there's room to uh, to, to worry there, um, if you ask me. But hey, now that I've said that, I'm probably going to be wrong. <laughs> well, we'll find out on Thursday and don't beat yourself up. So now let's shift to the opposite scenario. Pfizer is down 24% year to date. That's unfortunate since it was a stock pick of ours, but we still believe in the stock. The company is reporting Tuesday. What's the expectation there? You know, it's this is a tough one. Andrew Barry picked this, and he uh, picked it for um, basically because he looked at the company and he saw what everybody's worried about, which is the COVID nineteen vaccines. Um, those revenues are falling. Um, fewer people are getting vaccinated. Um, there are expectations that vaccine prices could go up, but Pfizer just uh, signed a deal with the EU that's going to lock in prices uh, at a fairly low level um, and could cause COVID revenue forecast to come down even more. Um, and th that has caused, very strangely, even though the stock has fallen so much this year, its valuation has actually gone up. Um, it's gone up from, I think it was about eight times, a little under eight times in October, and now it's up at around 11 times. And that's because the earnings from COVID keeps getting um, ratcheted down. Um, but you do have um, what uh, our uh, healthcare writer, uh, Josh Nathan Cases, has pointed out, is that what Pfizer is really trying to get people to pay attention to, and this is what Andrew also pointed out, is that they have um, vaccines for, uh, they have new vaccines that are coming. They have been making deals that should help with their pipeline and some patent expiration. And the stock is still, even though earning the, the earnings have been falling, the P has gone up at 11 times, it's still much cheaper than just about any other pharma stock out there. So if you believe that there will be a bottom in, in the COVID um, in, in the COVID business and that the other drugs are going to start coming online that are going to sort of take the risk out of the, uh, out of the patent expirations. Pfizer looks pretty attractive here. That's what Andrew saw. And, you know, we're still pretty comfortable recommending the stock. You know, it's about seven times trailing earnings, which has to be one of the cheapest stocks in the market. 11 yeah. times forward earnings for a company of this quality. I, I'm going to side with Andrew. Yeah. And it's uh, the other thing is you look at it and you compare it to say, let's, uh, let's go to the opposite extreme and compare it to an, an Eli Lilly. Um, 
So Eli Lilly is, uh, and this stock has just been soaring, it's trading at 42 times earnings. Um, and this is pretty much all on the back of the um, uh, weight loss. I mean, it's actually, loss, right. I believe it's, it's, a, it's a diabetes drug, right? That, uh, um, right, has that has been used for weight loss. Weight loss, exactly. Yeah, and people are extrapolating out into this enormous market for the stock, which is why it trades at uh, 42 times. Um, but at some point, they're going to price in that entire um uh, that I mean, this, this is up more than Apple this year. It's up 39%. Um, and at some point, we're going to price in all the possible benefits of these weight loss drugs and then some. Um, and so, you know, if you ask my preference, I'd much rather buy a cheap Pfizer than an expensive Eli Lilly. And I think that was Andrew's calculation as well. So let's move on to Ford, which reports on Tuesday. The stock hasn't done much this year. There's a lot of turmoil in the auto sector. What will you be listening for from Ford? Well, for Ford, I think the big worry that people have is that they're betting all this money on EVs. Um, and they made some good ones. The F-150 Lightning is a pretty cool, uh, pretty cool truck. Um, but with Tesla doing their price war thing right now, um, there's worried about the losses they're going to sustain there. There are worries also about whether people really want to switch over to uh, to EVs. Um, if you talk to Al Root, he says they will. If you talk to Andrew uh, Barry, he says, you know what, maybe not. Um, and I think that's part of the problem as well. And then there's also the fact that no one's sure if there is a recession coming or not. And how does how will that affect uh, um, car companies? Um, What's interesting is J.P. Morgan is actually feeling pretty bullish about Ford. They think that Ford's going to report a profit of about fifty cents a share. That would be above facts. That's uh, forty-four cents, um, and that it's going to um, that basically the uh, the production has been good. There's been a resurgence in used vehicle prices and. They think that they're going to um, be able to to do okay. That the number is going to be good. And I think with the stock down as much as it is, if it can have any positive commentary on EVs, um, I think that it could it could bounce here. Um, it is down near its uh, you know has a pretty firm bottom around eleven. Is trading at twelve right now. Um, you know it's been bouncing off eleven uh, a few times over the past twelve months. Um, but I think that uh, the, the the difference between the top and the bottom of this range keeps narrowing, and if they can print a good number here, then uh, perhaps we will get that upside finally. That would be nice for Ford shareholders, patient folks. Starbucks is also reporting. It's going to report tomorrow. The stock's done okay this year. It's up 15%. There's a fairly new CEO at the company. What's driving the stock and what will be driving earnings? I think China's driving the stock, actually. Uh, I mean, it's it's done really well. Um to uh, to start off uh, the year and really well into this this earnings print um, and and this is actually where if you look at the stock it's been uh, it, it almost that's uh, the right way to put it from November it started moving higher with with China it pulled back with China when China's uh, stock market if you look at it compared to MCHI which is uh, the iShares MSCI China ETF they've kind of done the same thing from November through oh april or so but at that point starbucks started to diverge um chinese stocks have been going sideways starbucks has broken out again and i think there's hope here that not only is china going to report some good numbers but that um the u.s traffic is going to be strong as well and just looking from my own family um 
th their use of uh, the app and everything else that uh, um, there's probably a good chance that uh, I would say there's a good chance that it is um, uh, that, that the numbers are going to come in uh, pretty strong. I, I think the biggest worry has to be that with the stock gaining as much as it has uh, in recent weeks, that some of that is already priced in. Um, and the stock um, is not cheap. It's at uh, about 30 times uh, 12 months forward. And so that would, you know, you could see maybe a pullback even on good numbers just because some of this is a, you know, it just becomes a sell, um, sell the news kind of reaction. All right, let's close our earnings discussion with a look at Anheuser-Busch. It's been in the news for a very controversial marketing campaign, but the stock is actually doing okay. It's up 11% this year. The company's reporting earnings on Thursday. Tell me, tell me how people are supposed to sort out all of the contradictions around Bud, as it were. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that it's... Um... You know, it's, it's a tough one to sort out, but um, because of this, uh, we, we can't dismiss the controversy around um, around Bud Light. It's impacting sales. Um, there's numbers that came out um, from something called Bump Williams Consulting, which uh, I guess is a consulting firm that is able to track beer sales. Uh, the analyst over at Cowan um, talked about this in a note this uh, on this morning saying that uh, Bud Light sales uh, fell 21.4% for the week ended April 22nd. Uh, the, this data is, comes with a week lag. And that's even larger than the previous week when it was down 17%. So this is actually building for, for Bud based on these numbers. Um, they're not going away. Uh, I think if there is a positive to this story is that um, in the in the short term is that Bud is Bud Light is not a huge part of Anheuser Busch's sales anymore. Um, they do a lot more of their business outside the U.S. than they do in the U.S. And Bud Light is a fairly small part of that. So it will have an impact um, more likely on next quarter than this quarter. Um, but it's not the huge part of it. And there's a lot going on at the company that. Um, makes it look better than than it has in a while. It's it's interesting to take a look at the uh, you know a five year chart in Bud because um, the stock just is not done well. Um, the um, you know the S P it got hit first by um, COVID in 2020, and while the S P really rallied. Um, Bud stock never got back above its pre-COVID levels. It's still below those pre-COVID levels. Um, but there are people who think that, that that there are now structural changes happening at, at the company, not just at Anheuser-Busch, but other beer companies as well, um, that before they were kind of thinking of beer as almost an afterthought. They've been losing beer, had been losing share to spirits. It had to deal with... Um, uh, this uh, the, the the hard seltzer market, which was uh, very hot for a while, um, and the companies themselves were doing so much M and A and not investing in their business that they were really losing out. But that all seems to be changing. They're focused more on organic growth and growing those businesses, investing in them, and that kind of change could bode well for Bud over the longer term once it gets through this controversy um, that it has going with uh, with Bud Light. Got it. Thank you so much, Ben. I want to get to some listener questions, and then if we have time, we'll circle back to some of the jobs numbers coming out later this week. Sure. Andrew has a question, presumably not our own Andrew Barry, who covers this topic. He wants to know your comments on Berkshire Hathaway versus the S&P 500 over the next five years. 
Well, that's, that's an interesting one. I mean, Andrew Barry just had a, a story on this uh, last week, uh, kind of ahead of the uh, the meeting on um, on on Friday. Um, I would say that it, you know, one of the things that he noted in that story is that Berkshire really hasn't outperformed the S and P five hundred for a long time now. If you look back over pretty much any period, three years, five years, ten years, twenty years, it's it's pretty much a watch um, on total on a total return basis. Um, that being said, um, Andrew does think that this is a good time for uh, Berkshire just in terms of having, uh, you know, Buffett seems very engaged. He's been making some very good deals. Uh, I would point out as well that, uh, you know, Berkshire has had to deal with the um, a market that wasn't very favorable to, um, you know, Buffett's investing style um, to uh, value. Um, and that, uh, you know, that could give it a boost. Um, and the other thing is it's, it's, it's a safer, um, it, it, sorry, I, I probably sh shouldn't say safer. It's probably, it's a less volatile, um, it's less volatile than the overall S&P 500. Um, it's a very defensive stock. And so if you can get those same returns, um, but you have a little less volatility and a little less worry, then perhaps that's, uh, that's worth owning it uh, in place of an S&P 500 index fund. Um, but I think it's a, it's a pretty decent spot for Berkshire right now. And it'll be an interesting meeting uh, this uh, coming weekend for sure. Well, given that Buffett is about 92 years old, the next five years could be interesting for other reasons. <laughs> that is very true. Andrew addressed that as well. <laughs> yes. Read Andrew's story, people. All right. Um, Albemarle, the lithium powerhouse, has been topsy-turvy. Two weeks ago, it was up 20%. Chile announced nationalization and prices collapsed 20%. Charles wants to know, how do you ride this rodeo? Um, so this is one that Al, Rude, and I have talked about quite a bit. And really, it comes down to where you think prices will settle on, um, on lithium, because they were up a ton. And they've pulled back a ton as well. Um, I'll get the numbers wrong if I try to quote them, so I'm not going to. But I think they, you know, they surge, um, and then they lost 50%. Um, but they're still, I think, about three or four times what they were before this kind of EV surge happened. And if they can settle down here, Albemarle is probably a decent bet. Um, but it's going to come down to those lithium prices um, and whether they can sustain themselves at this higher level that they're at um, or not. All right. Um, you and Al will keep talking about it and we'll report yes. on it in more detail in coming weeks. Yitzchak wants to know, what is your opinion on floating rate funds in a rising interest rate environment? Um, we haven't talked about those. It's an interesting question. It is an interesting question. Um, I'll, there, there is one reason to like them is obviously that they're they're floating rates, so interest rates go up, um, and you'll be earning more uh, interest, uh, more yield on them. The downside is that most of these companies are, you know, high yield companies. Um, they are may not be in the best position to handle higher rates. So you have to worry about the credit impact of, uh, of floating rate funds. This isn't my area of expertise, and I haven't looked at them closely um, in recent uh, weeks or even uh, or even months. Uh, so that might be all that I want to say. So while they seem, you know, they, they have that, um, they, they've benefited from that rising rate kind of thing. So I think the next worry has to, the next thing has to be credit and whether that ends up in, um, impacting them. Um, but I'll just leave it there. And suggest that we ought to find an expert to talk about it on yes. the
All right, JJ wants to know what is the short and long-term outlook for the dollar? We could spend an entire call on this. We could. Specifically, the reserve currency status of the dollar relative to the yuan and other sovereign trade currencies. Yeah, I mean, I I think the dollar, I I worry about some of the steps the U.S. has taken. and I, and I think I've talked about them before that, uh, you know, seizing dollar assets from uh, or freezing dollar assets from Russia and things like that makes it so that people who might have an antagonistic relationship, even if they don't have one now, but maybe sometime in the future, might want to look to not uh, have as many assets in the dollar. Um, that being said, there aren't really that many alternatives. People have been looking for an alternative to the dollar for a long time. They were excited about the euro when that came out and the euro picked up reserves and that uh, you know, you had the the the, um, the sovereign debt crisis, and that didn't turn out so well. They're still adding to the euro a bit, but it slowed down, and that's you know, hasn't really replaced the the dollar. And China's trying to do more uh, trade in the yuan, which will will happen. I mean, it makes sense for com- for countries to uh, put their their you know, if they're gonna trade if they're if you're gonna trade with China over something, you might as well trade in your own currencies and not have to have the the middleman. Um, but I think for people who there, there's still really no place to put the money. I mean, if, if you're worried about the U.S. freezing your assets, how are you going to feel about China um, when you know that they're much more political on how they're using their uh, economic uh, their economic might? Um, and, and so I think that uh, for the long term, you know, if there is uh, the dollar might not end up being quite the dominant currency it is now, but it's going to take a long time for that dominance to go away completely or even, uh, I think, largely, you know, largely to be noticeable. Um, and, and in the in the short term, it's been interesting to watch how the dollar, um, you know, it's like everyone's talking about this drop that it's had recently. Um because it, it was so strong, um, you know, went up to 115 and it uh I'm sorry, I'm looking at the, the DXY just so I can, just so I'm clear. Um, and so everyone's like, oh, this is it for the dollar. It's fallen so much. It was at 115. Now it's at 102. What they're missing is if you look at a 10 year chart on the dollar, back in 2014, the dollar, the dollar index was at 80. Right? Then it surged uh, with as the euro crisis heated up by 2015, it was up at around 100. And then for the next Oh, let's say uh, maybe for the next five years or so, it traded in this range between, let's say, 90 and 100. Um, And COVID hit, it dropped down hard to 90 and then rallied um, straight up as soon as we got into 2021. And it really rallied. It went from 90 up to 115, which is a massive move in currencies. And then it's now dropped back down. So it's a little bit above 100, but it's still above where it was um, pre-COVID. Um, so the dollar is still is strong. If you take out this this uh, this rally that took it up to 115, it's still at the top of this range that it had been in since 2015 or so. So for the time being, I'm just not. I, I see this more as mean reversion than anything else. Ben, I'm going to bet that we're going to ask the same question and have the same debate over the next five, 10, and 20 years. Oh, absolutely. And, and the dollar is still not going to lose its primacy among currencies. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised to see it, you know, at some point get back into this range that has been in between 90 and 100 and trade in that range for a while. Um, and that's okay. Get back to some of the fundamental reasons that you'd want to own the currency. Right. It, it, it can certainly trade around, but what are the alternatives? I think you raised a good point. 
So Catherine wants to know, are you concerned about the debt ceiling negotiations? I would say who isn't, but let's get your thoughts. I am. Um, I just think that there's a, a good chance that they don't reach an agreement. Um, I was having a, a, a conversation with a friend today who said something interesting to me um, that, uh, you know, he, that's the best way to put it, basically that he thinks that Biden is, should come out as soon and say, hey, look, we're, we're not going to, that the Constitution says we have to pay our debts, that the fact that they don't want, that the Republicans don't want to raise the debt ceiling doesn't change the fact that the Constitution says we have to. So we're just going to go ahead and pay this. It means we have to mint a $1 trillion coin or whatever. We're going to do that. And that, uh, that Biden should announce this sooner rather than later and see what the market reaction is. Um, and what do you think the market reaction would be? There's been a lot of talk about that coin. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I, 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 do, I do think that this is all, you know, it's all very silly. Like Congress passes something and then you don't want to pay it. I mean, I wish I could do that with my, my credit card. My daughter goes to Starbucks and spends, uh, uh, you know, $100 over a few weeks. And can I just say to my credit card company, oh, no, you know, that's my daughter spending it. I don't, I don't want to pay. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, so I, I find it all a bit ridiculous and that, uh it's not a good way to try to, the United States needs to get its house in order in terms of our deficit, but this isn't the way to do it. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I can see that anything that makes the, the debt ceiling kind of uh, non-issue would probably be well-received. Um, but, uh, you know, that's, uh, I'm not sure the odds of that happening are, are very likely. Um, that's a radical move. And it is a, a radical move. I'm not yeah. sure we're given to moves that radical. Here. No, probably not. But it would, I, I think it would be kind of fun to see just to see what the reaction would be. So one more question about the thoughts on the safety of Pfizer's dividend. Um, I think that the, the, the dividend is is fine for now. Um, COVID really was a, a windfall um, for the company. It has a lot of cash. Um, and so I, I don't think that becomes a worry um, for for it, it, I think things will have to go really wrong for that to become a worry just because uh, the issue with them is like where's the new business going to come from not uh, you know what what are, what do earnings actually look like not do they have enough cash to um, to pay a dividend and things like that so I think for now um, it's it's probably um, it's probably just fine and its yield is you know it's at four point two percent which is which is a nice yield it's. Uh, you know, it's uh, it's towards the higher end, I think, of S and P five hundred companies, but it's nowhere near that level that says, "Uh oh, this is a distressed company that's going to need to cut its dividend." Right, right, but but good question. So, as if we don't have enough going on this week, it's also a big week for economic data, namely Friday's jobs report. So, I want to close the call with a quick look at what economists are expecting. We've also got the job openings report, the jolts report Tuesday and the weekly initial claims for unemployment on Thursday. How is the employment picture shaping up? Well, it's it's definitely cooling a bit, um, but that uh, it, it has been so strong that cooling might not be quite enough yet. Um, it's not cold. No, it is certainly not cold. We're going to have 180,000 uh, jobs, uh, um, new jobs uh, created uh, last month. Um, if the economists are right, that would be down from uh, 236,000, um, but still 180,000 is not bad. Um, the unemployment rate is expected to tick up to 3.6% um, from 3.5, also uh, not, not a huge thing. I mean, I think the, the thing with payrolls is that it's it's very backwards looking and initial claims probably tells a better story um, 
or, or at least is, is giving us more up to the minute. It's uh, a real sense. it's a real time story. It is. And, uh, you know, we're looking at uh, jobless plans coming in at two hundred forty five thousand. Uh, that would be up from two hundred thirty thousand the previous week. That two hundred thirty was a surprise lower. Uh, I think it had been around this uh, two hundred forty five thousand and it came in at two thirty. Um, and so that's that's holding up. OK, too. The, the thing we want to look at is how is it going to compare to the previous year? Because it's when you start to see, you know, people run moving averages, whether it's a four week average or a 13 week average, and then compare it to where that average was a year ago. And when you start to see that rise, that really can be a sign that uh, the economy is weakening and that a recession is uh, is looming. All right. We're going to leave it there today. Thank you for staying with us. Thanks a lot, Ben, for your wonderful commentary. And thanks to our listeners for your many and excellent questions. I'm, I'm truly sorry that we didn't get to all of them. Tomorrow on Market Watch, reporter Greg Robb, We'll take a deep dive into the Fed on the first day of its two-day interest rate committee meeting. That's the FOMC meeting. Greg will be speaking with Carl Tannenbaum, chief economist at Northern Trust. Should be an interesting call. Thanks again, Ben, and thank you to our listeners for tuning in today. Stay well, everyone, and have a good day. The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com.